looking at this continued this continued aspect of darkness that we've been seeing and just the hardships uh, that the people of God have been going through. So let me just pray for us as we get started here and dig into God's word. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to come together as your family, that you call us your own, but we also are able to call one another brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Father, as we come with heavy hearts, as we come also from weeks of uh, joy and thanksgiving, Lord, we ask that you would draw near to us wherever we're at so that we might be able to be transformed by your word. Only you can do that. Only your word can do that. And so I ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see so that we might become more like Jesus. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last two weeks, we've been looking at this book of 1 Samuel, and we've called it King of Kings. And the reason we've named it King of Kings is because whether Israel has a king or not, God has been and always will be their king. Now, we've seen that in a very particular way over these last two weeks in chapters 1 and 2 in that God as king has been faithful to his people. In the first week, we saw the barrenness of a woman named Hannah and really the barrenness of the land of Israel and the people of God. And yet God was faithful to his people through their mourning and through their rejoicing. But we also saw last week that in the face of evil and injustice, real wickedness, that God was still faithful to his people through these little hints of how God was speaking to them, of how how God was bringing justice to his people. Now today as we go into chapter 3, we're actually going to see how God is faithful to his people in the midst of darkness, specifically through God's word. We're going to see how God is faithful to his people through the word of God alone. Now why that's important here is that because many times in this passage, which is a famous one of God calling out Samuel three, four times and Samuel mishearing it and thinking that it was Eli the priest, a lot of times you'll hear preachers preach this passage and focus on Samuel. And what you'll get is this great application about how we need to hear God's word with all the interference, with all the things that hinder us from hearing God's word. We need to hear it and be like Samuel, right? I've heard that sermon many times. You've probably heard sermons if you grew up in the church. But when you actually look at this passage and you do just a little bit of digging, what you realize is that Samuel is not actually the main subject of this story. The main, main subject of this story is actually the word of the Lord. And why I say that is in verse 1, we see that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Verse 7, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. And then in verse 21 at the end of chapter 3, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And what you see here is The word of God is actually the main subject which drives this story from the beginning to the end. And I think what the main point, the big idea of today's story and of today's sermon is this. God builds his kingdom by his word. God builds his kingdom by his word. I don't know if you've heard this before. A lot of people will say, 
the church is building the kingdom of God. But that is wrong. It's actually absolutely wrong and dangerous because it is man-centric. And that's why churches get into so much trouble because we say, we the church are building the kingdom of God. But rather what you have to understand is the church doesn't build the kingdom of God. We're just a visible, visible representation, a visible picture of the kingdom of God to the world. Whether it's love, patience, peace, reconciliation, forgiveness, justice. We're just the visible sign of that. We do not build God's kingdom. And it is only the kingdom or God himself that builds it. And how does he do it? By his word. Do you know how I know that? You just look at scripture. Genesis 1. How does the world come to be built? By his word. Let there be light. And there was light. When God calls Abraham. What does, he say, what does it say in Genesis 15? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And what does God bring? He says, I'm going to make you a promise, a covenant. And I will make you a great nation. In other words, I'm going to build my kingdom through your family. And through your family, a great nation. How does he do it? By his word. God, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And here in this chapter, chapter 3, it is this important chapter that transitions us with this prophet. The office of prophet is established in chapter 3. How? By the word of the Lord. God brings his kingdom, builds his kingdom by his word. And we see that in the office of prophet. So Samuel is this great transition who is the last judge, but now becomes the first prophet for the people of God. So we want to see here in this story how the word of God or how the word of the Lord plays out in this story and what we can actually learn. What can we learn about God's word through this story that we read about? And Samuel is definitely used to bring about God's kingdom through God's word. And so we're just going to read through this slowly. We're going to take little pit stops and break and see what, what, what is God actually trying to teach us about God's word. And so we'll just kind of take four little pit stops, four main points or four little things that God wants to teach us. But let's start in verse 1 and really look into what does God want to teach us of his word. Verse 1, if you want to follow along in 1 Samuel chapter 1, or you could follow along on the screen provided for you. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Take a moment here. What we see is that God's, God's word is grace to us. God's word is grace to us. There's so much darkness in these first few chapters of 1 Samuel. And if you've been following with us in the last couple of weeks, you should know by now that this story comes off the heels of the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what do we see? We see wickedness. We see evil. We see moral and spiritual corruption, right? And we get a taste of that here. The, Lord, the word of the Lord was rare. God's word was actually rare for the people of God in those days. 
And then we get this picture of actually how that's rare through Eli. His eyesight had gone dim so that he could not see. Which basically is this beautiful, or not a beautiful, but a harsh reflection of the nation that could not see or hear God's word anymore. It wasn't that he just couldn't see. But it was, a, it was a spiritual reality that not only Eli couldn't see, but the entire nation of God could not see or hear God's word. God's word was rare. And because it was rare, what you have to realize is this was God's judgment upon the people of God. God was withholding his word, his blessing to the people of God because they were not willing to listen to God's word. Have you ever been to a party? I was at a graduation party a few weeks ago, and there was a table uh, of like six of us around this table. And I started talking with the five others around me. And I, as I started to talk, I realized that the other five were talking to one another, and I was talking to nobody. Have you ever, you've been there, right? And now you have a decision to make. Are you going to keep talking because you don't want to feel like a fool? Or do you just stop and realize, man, I'm a loser. No one's listening to me. I've been there many times. Maybe it's just me, but I have a thing where no one's listening to me after a while. And everyone's just talking amongst themselves. But this is a great example of what God's judgment is. No one's listening to God. They're doing whatever they want in, that's right in their own eyes. And so what does God do? He withdraws himself and he stops talking. This is God's judgment upon the people of God. But here's where the word of God is grace for us. Because what we see is God breaks through the silence. Where there was no word of God being given. God breaks through in his grace and he delivers a word. What does it say in verse 4? Then the Lord called Samuel. Was it because the people of God finally loved the Lord? No. We saw that last week. Was it because they wanted to follow him? No. It wasn't because of what the people were doing, but it was out of God's sheer grace and love that he gives them his word. He calls Samuel to become the prophet for Israel so that the word of God now is no longer rare but regular. It becomes normative despite of the people of God's hearts, their sinfulness, their wickedness. He still breaks through the silence and delivers a word of God. Do you know we get to experience that every single week? Every single week we get to hear God's words as grace for us. Every Sunday morning when we come in, there is this first portion called the call to worship. And you might come here tired, exhausted. You might feel a lot of guilt from the things that you might have done this week. You might feel a lot of shame for the things that maybe your family has said about you, what your boss thinks about you, that you think you're worthless. But God breaks through all of that and says, you are mine. I want to call you into my presence so that you might experience the lavish love and grace that I want to show you. We get to experience God's grace through his word every Sunday morning. That is his grace to us. Whatever the world tells you, whatever you believe about yourself, we hear God's love 
through his word, and that is grace for his people. So what happens when God breaks through the silence? Well, let's continue on and see what happens. In verse 4, follow along with me. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But, but Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down, and for the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak. For your servant hears. What we see here is that not only is God's word grace for us, but here we see God's word is kindness to us. God's word is kind to us. What you see from this part of the story is the ever patient, kind gentleness of our God as he calls Samuel to himself. Do you know in these short verses, verses 4 through 10 that we just read, do you know how many times the word call is used? 11 times. 11 times the word call is used to be able to show how patient and kind God is. Do you know how many times it gets, it, it takes for me to get angry at my kids when I call them? Once. <laughs> Stephen, get upstairs. It's time for dinner. And if I don't immediately see him get up, I get angry. Renee, go take a shower. And if she doesn't stop what she does, immediately I get angry. Nora, pick up your toys, clean up. And if she doesn't immediately do it after the one time I call her, I get angry. There's a theme here. <laughs> but here, God is not like that. His word is kind to us. This is what one commentator said. Yahweh is in no apparent hurry. There is time for Samuel to catch on. God is not heaving, heaving an exasperated sigh. He is not ready to berate Samuel for being so dense. He does not launch into a tirade about how Samuel never gets anything right. In other words, God is in no rush. There is no rush with God's word. It takes time and patience to grow and understand who our God is. It is slow and though we think God is in a hurry and he's out to condemn us if we don't respond right away or if we don't get it right away, if we don't change right away, remember the word of God is a seed. It's a seed that's planted in our hearts. And it takes years. It takes years upon years for us to finally change and transform and die to our sin and become more like Christ. It takes time and patience. And what we see here is that God's word is kind and patient and gentle to us. We don't see a God who hits us over the head, who has a stopwatch waiting for us to respond correctly. We have a God who is so kind. I mean, you think about the disciples, right, in the Gospels. How slow were they? Three years of sleeping in the same room, 
eating the same food, like spending every waking minute for three years with Jesus, and they never understood who he was. They never understood why he came into this world. And yet, what do we see with Jesus? Patience, kindness, gentleness. And Jesus even says that in John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that slowly transforms us and makes us more like him. And that's God's word. It is kind to his people. So what does God say to Samuel? Well, let's, let's continue in the story and see what God says. Verse 11 through 18. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two years of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever. For the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything. And hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. We see how God's word is grace. We see how God's word is kind. Here what we see is that God's word is truth for us. God's word is truth for us. The word that God breaks through the silence to give to Samuel should not surprise us if we were here last week. We already heard it. A random man who is actually a prophet, comes and delivers this horrible news to Eli of the consequences of the evil and wickedness of his sons. And here now, for the second time, not is it this random prophet, but Samuel, who's like a son to Eli, who has to break the news of such harsh realities of God's word to Eli. You see, here's what I want us to remember about God's word. God's word is always always good but sometimes it is not pleasant though it is always good sometimes God's word is not pleasant and here we have such harsh news that God gives and though it's harsh it is still the truth and it is God's word for his people and Eli finally understands that Eli who's been faithless who wasn't faithful in raising up his sons to love God, who was not faithful as a representative to God's people to see them walk in the ways of God, he now understands and comes to a place where he can receive even the harshest truthful news that God gives and he receives it with humility. Do you see that? He becomes a redeemed and transformed man of God through the word of God that is harsh, unpleasant, but good. That is what Eli is able to understand for the first time in his life. And Samuel is so afraid, but he still delivers it. And that is something else we have to realize about prophets. 
This was in many ways a test for Samuel. To establish the office of prophet, he needed to be the one who could actually tell the truth. The word of God, whether it was pleasant or not, and deliver it. And here Samuel does that. He's this prophet who is faithful in giving God's word. And here we see Eli receive God's word no matter how hard it is. And he says, let it be so. Let me bow down to it, though I have not been able to bow down to it before. Though I have caused misery for my land and for my people. I want to finish my life as a man who reveres the Lord and his word even when it's hard. How about for us? Do we love to cherry pick what we read in God's word? Do we just cling on to the things that make us feel good? Or are we able to receive all of God's truth? All that is good, though sometimes it is unpleasant, though it might be painful, can we take it like Eli and be able to grow and find humility and know that God's word is truth for us and is good for us? Well, what happens as we close this story of God's word that is brought to the people of God? Let's finish here starting verse 19. And here we see the greatest hope that comes from God's words. Verse 19 to chapter 4, verse 1. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel as Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. What we see here is that God's word is his presence for us. What a reversal from the beginning of this story to this end. Did you catch it? You see that God's word was rare. But here at the end of this story, God's word is all throughout the land of Israel. God's word was rare. But now Samuel the prophet is established from sea to shining sea. That's what that writer says when he says from all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. It's this idea of like from sea to shining sea, from New York to L.A. God has established Samuel to be the prophet. And what do prophets do? They bring God's word. What was rare is now very regular and normative for the people of God. And that is God's grace. But here's what I want us to catch here. The significance of God's word. His word is equated to God himself being present in their land. Did you see that in verse 21? For the Lord revealed himself. God himself revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh. How did he do that? By the word of the Lord. You see, God's word is his presence for us always. We know God by his word. He shows us himself to us. He makes himself known. He condescends himself in ways that we might know who God is through the word of God. And this is the hope we have because of the love of our God. In the midst of darkness, when there is really no hope, God gives us not just his word, but himself. When we least deserve it. And this is what God's word is for us. It is his presence. He himself shows up when he brings us his word. I shared how hard and difficult this week has been. Having to prepare for two funeral services in one week was something I never imagined happening. 
But one of the beautiful reminders that I got this past week was someone who was mourning and grieving the loss of their loved one. And they reminded me of how important God's word is. They shared with me how so much of their week was spent grieving and mourning. That's all they could do was just grieve and mourn the loss of their loved one. And so when I met with them, what they said was how much they needed to hear God's word preached to them during the funeral service. That though there's been so much mourning and so much grief, the word of God would be the hope that they needed to look to God and know that the resurrection was true. That the hope of God was real. They needed hope in the presence of God that could only come through the word of God alone like nothing else. And that's what I was reminded of. That God's word isn't just his word, but it's his presence to us. Only when we are in dark places and when the light is dim, do we truly understand how God's word brings us his presence. It brings us himself, that he actually does draw near to the brokenhearted. That he actually saves those who are crushed in spirit. That he actually is my cornerstone and he is my fortress. That he is actually the resurrection and the life. And isn't that what we find in Jesus? The word of God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And the glory of God was seen and he was full of grace. Full of truth. This is what we read in John 1. But not only was he full of grace and truth, but what we see in scriptures is that Jesus was the greater prophet, better than Moses, better than Samuel. Jesus was the greatest prophet, and Hebrews reminds us of that. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, like Samuel. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the greater prophet. He's the one who declares and gives us his word. But what, we, what do we do with his word? His word falls on our deaf ears. We rebel against his word. We don't listen to his word. And the same was true for Jesus in his time. His words, his prophecies led him to his crucifixion and his death. But even knowing that, what does Jesus do for us? He goes to the cross and he dies so that we might have life. And that is grace for us. That is kindness to us. That is truth for us. And that is his presence to us. He comes in the flesh knowing that we would disobey, knowing that we would, it, his words would fall on deaf ears. He still dies so that we might experience life. And that is his beautiful reminder that his word is his presence, his real presence to you and to me. And so as we close this morning, may we 
May we be like Peter, who as he looked at Jesus, do you know what he said to Jesus? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you that you do have the words of eternal life. But not only do you have the words of eternal life, you were life for us. That you came into this world, suffered at the hands of your own creation, and died so that we might be able to have life through not only your word, but through your presence to us. And so may that be a real reality for us as we come to the table now. May it be our strength that not only is your word life for us, but Lord, this table is life for us. That the word would actually become flesh. That your body would be broken and your blood would be shed so that we might be able to experience forgiveness, reconciliation, joy, contentment, peace because of what you have done for us. So Lord, use this table now for our strength, for our joy, so that Lord, we might be stirred up in our hearts to not only love you, but love your word. Holy Spirit, won't you do that now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.